Hi, and welcome to Failureology, a podcast about engineering failures. I'm your host, Nicole. And I'm Brian, and we're both from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thanks again to our Patreon subscribers. We really, really appreciate your support. For less than the cost of a not boring footlong sub at Subway, you can hear us talk about more interesting engineering failures. And the best part? You can listen to them again and again, where if you get a sub at Subway, once you eat it, it's done. So that's five Canadian dollars a month to join our Patreon, and you get twice as many episodes. So instead of getting an episode every other week, you get an episode every week, more interesting engineering failures. And you heard a sample of our Gimli glider failure last episode, and you will hear two more in the next upcoming episode in two weeks. On to engineering news. This week in engineering news, regenerative bone tissue. Researchers at Texas A&M University are using new nanotechnology to direct stem cells to form bone tissue, which sounds super cool. The researchers there developed a water-stable 2D covalent organic framework, or COF, which are porous organic polymers to direct the differentiation of human stem cells into bone cells, also super cool. Previously, these organic polymers were difficult to process into nano-sized materials, which was limiting their application in regenerative medicine and drug delivery. They were able to use the 2D polymers to exhibit bioactivity and direct stem cells to bone cells, even using the shape and size to impart the bioactivities. All of that sounds super, super cool. Yeah, it is. I think this is a really cool research project. So if you break a bone, you can grow the bone cells to repair that bone. But if you need a bone graft or various other things, pins such as pins or other things to hold the bone in place, um, there's a lot of really cool applications here for this product. In Harry Potter, they regrow bone. And I always thought that was really, really cool um, that they were able to do that. They are also able to remove bone with a spell. So it's a little different. We can't quite do that. But I think being able to help people repair breaks and other bone damage is is going to be really, really helpful in the future for recovery. If you want to read more on the regenerative bone tissue study, check out the link on the webpage for this episode at failureology.ca. This episode of Failureology is brought to you by Shorts, Shorts, Shorts. They're shorts that are short. Made by shorts. Not to be confused with pants. These are different. This seems pretty self-explanatory from the name, but yet, here we are, trying to fill the next 15 seconds of advertising time. Now on to this week's engineering failure. And it's our first bioengineering failure we're gonna talk about breast implant recalls. I just wanna start this off, and I have said this before, that I've wanted to do a biomedical type engineering failure for a long time, probably since the beginning of the show, but there were a couple things that were, I guess, holding us back from that. Firstly, as much as I say that I'm not a structural engineer or not a nuclear physicist, which I've said in other episodes before, I'm really not a biologist. Biology is not my strong science. I'm here for the physics, not the biology. So that's been a little bit of a challenge. Uh, I completely respect the work that all of the people in biological sciences are doing. It's just not a 
big area of interest for me? It was a really big area of interest for me in grade 10 or grade 11. And I got to grade 11 biology. I was in the advanced placement biology. I was going to go to medical school or be a park ranger. Those were kind of my careers that I wanted when I was in high school, early high school. And then we got to the unit on plants and plant cells and plant tissue structure. And I did not do very well on that. And that sunk any careers for me related to biology. Oh, don't even get me started on plants. We have one plant and I can't keep it alive. I'm not responsible for keeping it alive. I have a dog. No problem. She's 14. She is fed. She has water. She has walked. Plants, I forget they're there. They don't talk. They don't wave their arms at me. I just, yeah. Also, a pretty big indicator to me is, you know, I too took biology in high school and none of it sunk. None of the information stayed in my head. Everything was in one ear and out the other. I didn't retain. I didn't retain really any of it. And so that to me tells me that it's not something I'm interested in. Because if I'm interested in something, I will retain the information, which is kind of how I find my different interests is I just look at a lot of different things and the things that stick in my brain are the things that I go back to until I decide that I need to find another hobby. And I have played Xylem, which is X, Y, L, E, M, and Scrabble for a bunch of points. That's the most use I had out of the Bio 20 that I remembered. Either way, we still think that these bioengineering failures have a very real place on this show. And I think that they're often overlooked and put into a different category because they're looked at as healthcare or biology specific or medical related, but they are still engineering. They're still very interesting. And I think they often have a wider impact than a single failure event. So like the breast implant recalls we're going to talk about today, those are impacting thousands of people in multiple countries all around the world over the span of a decade. And that's not to say that a bridge collapse isn't a tragic event because of course it is, but it's a singular event that impacts the people that are there at that place at that time. Whereas this, I think, has a bit of a more widespread reach, which I think is really interesting and of course unfortunate. Also looking into this, a second challenge that we had was that looking at some of the bioengineering failures, they're not always the most appealing sounding topics. While transvaginal bladder sling might be interesting, and is honestly an abhorrent sounding, very real problem that a lot of people are dealing with. I don't think I really have the anatomy background or the comfort level to cover those topics. So I wanted to start here. Maybe I'll work up to something like that. Baby steps. Um, so finding a topic that was interesting, important, and appropriate was a bit of a challenge. So then how, do you ask, did we land on breast implants? Well, I think breast implants often get a bad rap. They can be seen as superficial or vain or shallow, but they have very important and impactful real-world applications. People suffering from breast cancer who need a full mastectomy will sometimes get implants. Trans women who want to feel more comfortable in their own body may get breast implants. And this is often a really big life-changing and life-saving surgery for them. Gender dysphoria is no joke. And then, of course, there's women who just aren't comfortable with the breast they were given and they want to make a change. I'm sure there's a lot of other applications. I'm not intending to list them all. I would say those are some of the most common. I also want to mention that there is a syndrome called breast implant illness. This episode is not about that. We're going to talk about a defective implant that surpassed the regulators. 
although breast implant illness is a very real thing that you can dig into on your own time. So what happens when breast implants go horribly awry? Well, let's get into it. Poly Implant Prosthesis, which is a company that we're going to talk about today, was a French company founded in 1991 by two Frenchmen. The first founder was a former butcher and later mechanical sales representative, and the second was a plastic surgeon who introduced breast implants to France in 1965. I think those are some pretty diverse occupations or careers to form a, a company that does prosthesis and breast implants, but here we are. Yeah, I'm all for upskilling, but butcher and medical sales rep is an interesting combination and a bit questionable for this line of work. Poly implant prosthesis produced silicone gel breast implants until 2010 after it was discovered they had been illegally manufacturing and selling implants made from cheaper grade industrial silicone since 2001 even though medical grade silicone had been mandated. If you're going to put stuff in your body, make sure it's medical grade. Well, so, and we're going to get into this. Interestingly enough, the people who were receiving these implants had no idea. They thought that everything was done with medical grade silicone. So it's not necessarily that that they knew what they were getting into. And I also think it's interesting that they flew under the radar for a decade. This was going on for nine years before anyone figured out what they were doing. By that point, they had sold implants to thousands of women in so many different countries. And that's what I meant earlier when I said this failure has such a wide reach. Yeah, but at the same time, too, if, if you're receiving a breast implant or, or anything else, you, you assume that there's due diligence that's been done on the manufacturer side or on the, the government side. Like I, I don't think it's on the woman that were receiving these breast implants to confirm that the, what was going in their bodies was, was medical grade. No, no, of course not. No, it's on, it's on the manufacturers, the regulators in each country. As well, I think to a certain extent, the doctors who are, who are using them, they're the ones who are interfacing with this manufacturer, perhaps the medical supplier, and they're seeing the larger picture. The person who's getting the implants is, that's their experience is typically that that piece of the of the puzzle they're just getting the implant using the product but the doctors are seeing multiple women use these products and likely talking to other colleagues who are also using these products and so i think they have a little bit more knowledge and and also more training higher expectations maybe that's unfair to put that onus on them but i do think i do think they have a small small piece of that uh, responsibility i think most of the responsibility lies with the manufacturer and the regulators in my opinion. Yeah. And, and so I work in an industry that's fairly heavily regulated. So we do multiple audits per year for various clients and government institutions just to show that what we say we're doing is actually what we're doing. Um, so I would have expected that this would have been, you know, been caught a lot sooner than the, you know, the nine or 10 years that it took for, you know, them to discover that they were using this cheaper grade, you know, silicon in in the breast implants and these cheaper silicone implants, they, they had a 500% higher risk of rupturing or leaking. And, and they did cause several deaths from system toxicity and induced breast cancer. And, you know, all around, this just sounds like a, a not fun experience uh, for, for anyone that received these implants. Yeah. One of the things that I think is interesting or perhaps unfortunate about medical incidents is that the breast plant could rupture and it could 
increase your risk for and ultimately lead to cancer. But the cause and effect is not quite so black and white. And so it becomes a lot harder to prove that the implant failure is the cause of the breast cancer. And it just puts a lot more onus on the victim or the person who had the implant that ruptured to prove that it was the implant itself that caused the breast cancer, which is just unfortunate. But we see this a lot with medical issues. It's It becomes really, really hard to prove that that cause and effect. And what I'm thinking in my head right now is Aaron Brockovich, because that is one of my favorite movies. It was really hard for them to prove that, you know, Pacific Gas and Electric had caused all of these cancers and all of these families. And it wasn't until they got hundreds and hundreds of plaintiffs together and did a class action lawsuit that they were actually able to show the correlation between the polluted water and all of these diseases and cancers that had occurred. And that's kind of what happens here ultimately is that, you know, one person having an issue they chalk it up to, oh, well, you can't prove it was the implant. But then after it starts happening over and over and over again, and the only thing linking all of these women in all these different areas of the world is these implants, then they can start to show that the implants are the the cause and they're leading to all of these different types of diseases and, and cancers. Yeah, which is which is really unfortunate that it it takes that volume of people, you know, to kind of trace the the issue, you know, down to the breast implants. And polyimplant prosthesis, they didn't start out using um, non-medical grade silicon the whole time. So up until 2000, they were following regulations and catering to a to a fairly large market. Um, but then the FDA, which is the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, they, they banned the use of silicone implants in the U.S. market, which greatly impacted uh, polyimplant prosthesis sales. And they had to find a way to either generate more sales or cut costs and they decided to go with the, the cost-cutting method. So they, they decided to switch away from the expensive medical-grade silicone for an in-house produced industrial-grade silicone, which translated into 90% savings, which is great for your corporate bottom line, not great for all the people that had breast implants. Unfortunately, it doesn't appear that the regulators were were aware of this change that poly implant prosthesis made. They just assumed the change would be accepted, so they never even applied to the regulator. So I've got a lot of questions about this. One, after nine years, how did the regulators not figure out what was going on here? I'm sure it all looked aesthetically the same, but I'd at least hope they'd be looking at the materials that are used to make the various products and wondering why there was no silicone being purchased or at least not enough to match the output of implants that they were producing. I, I don't know what, you know a ton about the medical side of things, but I, I do know that it is very heavily regulated. So I'm actually surprised that um, poly implant prosthesis didn't have to send, you know, yearly samples or that there wasn't an audit of their manufacturing process that went on, you know, even at a, you know, a two or three year interval. And, and that seems like a long time, you know, but obviously there, there wasn't anything like that that was happening because it, it took so long and it took, you know, the, the deaths and injuries of, of many, many people before this, this even started to be investigated. Agreed. One of the things that I think is interesting is that the FDA, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, they're the ones that banned silicone implants first that kind of were the catalyst that started polyimplant prosthesis from going down this road of cost savings. And I think that their regulatory body is, I think, looking 
a little bit deeper, or perhaps it's just that there's more hoops to jump through. And I'm curious if they had not banned silicone completely, if they had allowed it, if this would have been caught sooner, just because potentially they have more thorough checks and balances in place. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I've just heard that getting things through the FDA for approval is quite an extensive process and perhaps more extensive in the U.S. than it is in some other countries. Probably not for all things, but perhaps that's why this went unchecked for so long. Yeah, but, but, but I think having a you know an extensive process you know to certify medical related technology that that's actually a really good thing to have. Um, if you didn't have such an extensive process, kind of the same thing with engineering. If you don't have such high standards, then all of the substandard things just kind of sneak through, and it leads to you know death and you know reduced life uh, lifespans of people, and you know just other injuries and problems. So I, I think having a, a very stringent and regulatory process is is actually a good thing. Agreed. I just wonder if the other countries not having as strict of protocols is why they perhaps didn't catch this. I think another thing too is, you know, this company is manufacturing and selling to lots of countries. And so it would be really easy for them to purchase a little bit of medical grade silicone and just repeat that inventory for all of the different purchase orders that they have because there's no one looking at all of their sales as a whole. Each country is looking at what's being imported into their country. So as long as they have the medical grade silicone purchase to back up the volume of sales in each country individually, they could probably bypass that if they wanted. Which takes me to my next question, which is potentially a bigger question, aside from why no one else noticed, is making this change isn't something you just sneak through. There are several people within polyimplant prosthesis that would have known this was going on and not stopped it. And I don't know exactly how many people, but for sure there was several. I'm assuming everyone at the executive level and then likely some at the manufacturing and operations level as well as the design and engineering level as well. So there are several people that knew about this and did not stop it, which I find really, really disappointing. We've talked about a number of failures on this show. I kind of like to break them up into three separate groups. You know, there's there's the failures that are things we don't know yet, things we haven't discovered. There are failures that are accidents, mistakes that are made during calculations, things that were missed, and they slip through the cracks, but no one intentionally tried to do anything wrong. And then there's failures like this, where people knew they were doing something wrong, but they were profiting off of it, or, well, usually it's profit, but they're gaining something money or something else. And they're deciding to sweep all of the things under the rug and pretend that they're not there. And they let these failures slip through the cracks deliberately so that they can continue to profit. And I, these ones I find to be the most frustrating because you knew you were doing something wrong and you did it anyways. Going back to what Nicole was saying about uh, the quality for medical grade silicone, poly implant prosthesis, they still made high quality implants with the correct silicone. So they didn't completely stop making uh, breast implants with the correct silicone, but they found it was five times the cost of the industrial grade silicone implant. So there was a, there's a big cost difference between the two. And from what I've been able to find, it sounded like they did offer two price brackets. Now, I don't know how their marketing team operated, and I don't know if they offered different products to different doctors depending on the market or if they offered each doctor or, you know, one's doctor both products. 
Personally, if I was offered two products and told they were the same, but one cost five times more, I'd have a lot of questions. So I'm not sure how they bypassed that and and how they exactly they marketed this, but they did make implants with the medical grade silicone. It just they just made much fewer of them than of the industrial grade silicone style. Problem started for poly implant prosthesis in 2003. So tracking data, it's a bit challenging, but from the available data, the evidence suggests that poly implant prosthesis implants had a failure rate of at least 6% after five years with estimates up to 12% and a failure rate of at least 14% after 10 years with estimates as high as 30%. Those seem like really, really high failure rates for something that you implant in your body that is likely there for 10, 20, 30 years, a a substantial period of time. Yeah. Also, these happened, these failures started happening within two years of them switching to the industrial grade silicone. So they made that switch in 2001. They problem started in 2003, but they weren't stopped until 2010. So nine years since they switched to industrial grade, but seven years since the problem started to happen. Now, the stats Brian mentioned We're looking back at those statistics. So they have the data collected over the nine years. They didn't have all of those numbers in 2003. But it is concerning that they started seeing the signs that early and it took them seven years to do something about it. Big concern for me. Big concern. Other symptoms included lumps around the implant or in the underarm area, inflammation in the breast tissue and hardening of the breast generalized pain, respiratory problems, anxiety, fatigue. So a whole host of other symptoms that were caused either directly or indirectly from these breast implants. And and none of these sound like things that you want to have, like respiratory problems, anxiety, fatigue. Like those those are not not fun. No, they're not. But just going back to my earlier comment, those symptoms have a variety of other causes. And so it does become really challenging to prove definitively that there's a link between these implants and those symptoms. And I think that's why it took so long. And it wasn't until 2009 that France surgeons were reporting abnormally high rupture rates and there was a flood of legal complaints. And in 2009, polyimplant prosthesis filed for bankruptcy. Around this time, their quality certificate was also pulled and their implants were recalled. At the time, they were the third largest maker of breast implants in the world, so you can imagine that the impact that had on their implants being recalled. So you're probably wondering, like we've been speculating or talking about, why no one noticed this. And one of the former workers at Polyimplant Prosthesis said, in quotes, you had to have been a chemist to notice anything. To everyone else, the silicone looked the exact same as the medical grade stuff. The cheaper silicone used basalone, silopren, and rotorsol, which are chemicals commonly found in field additives or in industrial rubber tubing. They mixed these products with 75% of the industrial silicone and 25% of the medical grade silicone to further disguise the silicone change. An inspection of the manufacturing site found that polyimplant prosthesis had been using unapproved industrial grade silicone for 10% the cost of the original medical grade silicone. So that's part of why no one noticed. Perhaps I was wrong earlier when I said people in the manufacturing and operations plant should have known because they may not. Obviously, if you had to be a chemist to notice anything, 
But that does not change my stance that the executives didn't know what was going on. Someone still had to make this change. Someone still had to make the industrial grade silicone or purchase it, purchase the ingredients, mix the two together and put that into the production facility under the guise of medical grade silicone. This is a very intentional act. Like Nicole said, somebody's made this very conscious decision that they're going to use industrial grade silicone instead of the medical grade silicone, or at least mix the two together. So yeah, there, there's definitely you know a large degree of, of criminal negligence that, that's occurring right now. Somebody's very blatantly and very intentionally made this decision. Yeah, and it's one thing for Volkswagen to install software that changes the car emissions when it's being tested, which is not okay, is a problem, is bad for the environment, and has a ton of other consequences. But these breast implants are literally going inside someone's body. This is a big concern for me that someone... What kind of person do you have to be to do this? You have you have to be a monster. I don't know how you can do something like this and be okay with it and not be a monster. You're just a bad person. I don't I don't know how you can't be a bad person when you do something like this. A woman with a poly implant prosthesis implant developed scar tissue which was fairly common with implants. But her scar tissue developed a rare form of cancer, and unfortunately, she passed away. This incident finally forced the French government to do something, and they recommended 30,000 women in France get their poly implant prosthesis implants removed. That's a lot of people. 30,000 people that they're recommending get implants removed. And that's just in one country. Yeah, that's one country. And they didn't only sell implants to France. They, like Nicole mentioned, they were the third largest manufacturer of breast implants at the time. So there's a lot of women that are that are impacted that probably should have had their, their implants removed. So France did cover the cost of the removal, but only covered the replacement where the implants were medically required and everyone else had to finance the cost of implants themselves, which is really not enough for France. They permitted thousands of these implants to be put in without proper manufacturing oversight. Several other countries recommended that recipients meet with their doctors to see how much of a risk the implants are. Some paid for removal, some didn't. So we mentioned earlier that these implants were recalled, but they're surgically installed inside of a person's body. So you can't just take them out. They have to be surgically removed. And so even though they were recalled, there still needs to be a process in place for how these implants are removed and ideally replaced with new ones that meet the standards and the regulations. Some of the countries that were impacted were countries with public health care, and so they determined that they weren't going to bear the brunt of those costs to replace these implants. They may take them out, but they wouldn't replace them, which I really don't think is acceptable especially when those countries are the ones that are regulating which implants are acceptable to be put in in the first place. So if if I'm a country and I say, yes, these implants are safe for use and you put them in your body and it turns out they weren't safe for use and I recognize that, then I think as a country, it's my responsibility to say, okay, let's take those out and put different ones in. But to say, no, we're just going to take them out, you're on your own, I really don't think is acceptable. Now, France did replace the implants if they were medically required, but I still don't think that's quite far enough considering that they were responsible for regulating these medical products. 
I think they should have taken that one step further. But I will say there's countries that didn't cover any of the costs and you were on your own to get them removed, replaced or whatever you chose to do with them. The country didn't bear any of those costs. So, I, I mean, that's obviously worse. At least some countries were willing to pay to take them out. But if you're going to regulate a product and that product is then deemed unsafe, I think there's a responsibility to make the correction and fix the problem, especially if we take out the let's be a decent human being factor for a second and just talk about the financials, because that seems to be what makes the world go round these days, there's significant cost in leaving the implants in and having people fall ill with different cancers and diseases and other conditions because of the implants. And those conditions all cost money to treat. So there's a potential savings to the healthcare industry by removing these implants and preventing those conditions from occurring in the first place. And so there is a cost-benefit analysis on is it cheaper to leave them in versus taking them out. And yes, that is not a great way to think about this. These are human beings, but also sometimes you have to do the math to get people to follow what your thought process is. And I do this in engineering all the time, there are things that are just good engineering practice that keep people safe. And sometimes it's hard to get buy-in from other people as to why they're needed. And sometimes you can't, You, it's not even worth discussing. It's no, I mean, we're not doing that. It's not safe. We can't do it. The public is our top priority. And sometimes it's almost easier, or at least more effective to get everyone on board by giving them, you know, the cost benefit analysis of, well, Okay, so we should be doing this because it's safer. So there's that benefit. But let's talk about the risks of not doing this. And what are the potential costs of those risks? So one of those could be pressure testing piping, which is just related to plumbing, if you will. Indulge me for a second. So sometimes, you know, if they want to do added testing, there's an extra cost. But leaking pipes in finished suites or finished buildings is very expensive to fix, not only for the cost, but also if it impacts your insurance premium and downtime. And let's say you've got tenants that need to be relocated so that they can run their business or live or whatever kind of building it is. That's a substantial cost. And oftentimes that's multitudes larger than doing the extra testing. And so sometimes when you kind of frame it in that manner, it's, it's a little bit easier to get people on board. And so I think that should have been something that the country's looked at a little bit closer because I think that would have brought everyone back on board because like I talked about at the very top of the show implants get a bad rap people think that they're superficial and vain but there's a lot of really good reasons why people get them that aren't just for aesthetic and I think that it's really important to keep that in mind when we talk about this failure I'll get off my soapbox now okay <laughs> in 2013 the owner was charged along with the deputy quality director, technical director, and the product's chief, the owner was sent to prison for four years, which I don't feel is long enough. But again, we're not the judicial system. We're not lawyers. He got sent to prison for four years. That was what the court deemed was an appropriate amount of time for him to be incarcerated. So it is what it is. It's always interesting to me how white collar crime is is sentenced much differently than than other crimes. Um, these people made decisions that killed people and they only got four years. Well, not even. The owner got four years. The others probably got fined and if they got a sentence, it was much shorter. 
And I don't really think that's okay because they killed people and made people sick out of greed. And that's not okay. In 2021, not that long ago, the company that had provided the quality certificate was found negligent and partially liable for damages. They had argued that poly implant prosthesis removed evidence of the industrial silicone gel before they did the annual inspections. Courts ruled that they still should have detected the fraud. And I agree, they should have. If you're providing a quality certificate, you should have been doing testing. You shouldn't just be going to the factory and just walking around. I think you need to do a lot more thorough of a job. And now I'm not, I don't really know what the quality certificate inspection process looks like and how detailed it is, but nine years they sold these faulty implants and that's because they had this quality certificate that said they were good and they weren't. And yeah, I, I, I agree with the courts. They should have detected the fraud. Me too. So the owner's son later tried to restart the company and reopen the factory to produce 400 implants a day and export to European, South American, and Chinese markets. But luckily, after all of the media coverage that they got, that whole thing fell apart. And I don't feel the least bit bad about that. No, thank you. This business is not for you. You've, you are not qualified to be here. No, thank you. We don't want your product. Not interested in what you're selling. So there you have it. The poly implant prosthesis breast implant failure. Cutting costs by using non-medical grade silicone put thousands of women's lives at risk. This failure highlights regulatory and quality control shortcomings that need to be addressed in the world of plastic surgery. We hope you enjoyed our first biomedical engineering failure. We hope to do another. If you have any ideas for a failure of that nature, please send them to us. The list of ones that I've come across is very small, and I would like to do one of these again because I do think it was interesting. And I hope that you think we did it justice because like we talked about, biology is not our strong science. We're here for the physics. If you send us in a biology-related failure that we wind up featuring, we'll even invite you on as a guest because you know way more about biology than we do. Yes. And if you don't want to do that, if that's holding you back, we can thank you by name, or we can just thank you as an anonymous listener. Many options. Let us know. For photos, sources, and an episode summary from this week's episode, head to failurology.ca. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please rate, review, and subscribe to Failurology so more people can find us. If you want to chat with us, our Twitter handle is at Failurology. You can email us at thefailurologypodcast at gmail.com. You can connect with us on LinkedIn, or you can message us on our Patreon page. Check out the show notes for links to all of these. And thanks everyone for listening and tune into the next episode where, like I mentioned, we're going to share with you two mini failures. They're a little bit shorter, so we're putting two together. Also, they're related. One is about the Boston molasses flood and the other is about the London beer flood. Both really old failures that are actually way more interesting than I thought they would be. Bye everyone. Talk soon.